Welcome to Window Up Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch Podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 11, Bloodlines. Yay! I never know what to say after that. It's like, I feel like, should I like, should we do the intro and I like put the theme song like between the intro and the start of the episode? I don't know. But so it's just like, we could sing a version of the intro. No, I'm saving that for when there's, okay, spoiler for future special feature, I don't know, on the DVDs, I think in season three, when they start doing the commentaries, um, Peter DeLuise brings up that there are actually lyrics to the Stargate theme song, and then they proceed to sing them during the opening credits montage, so when that pops up, pops up in the commentary on the special features, I'll, I'll let you guys know. And then I will insert it because I'm not singing it myself. Because <laughs> you don't need to hear that. <laughs> that always reminds me, oh, I can't think of the movie. I wish I could, but it was, it was some sort of presidential movie. And it was like two guys. Yeah, I don't remember if one of them was the current president and one was the former president or if they were both former presidents, but they were having a conversation amongst themselves where they were like, did you ever make up lyrics to the hail to the oh, chief song yeah and one of them was like yeah it goes hail to the chief he's the chief and he needs hailing <laughs> oh <laughs> yes what is that and then the, and then there's um kevin klein and dave when he's in the shower makes up lyrics makes up his own lyrics to the theme song is, is that the movie i'm thinking of no because i do because i think it's because his i think the one in here was like hail to the chief he's the one we also hail to say hail to him <laughs> keeps himself so clean he's got the power that's why he's in the shower (laughs) why do I remember that I haven't seen that movie in so long oh but yeah it's good (laughs) there is all the outtake there is also the outtake um where and her name is escaping me but Game of Thrones where one of the actresses they asked her if she had ever made her own lyrics to the theme song and she's like yeah it's awesome and then she just starts to sing death and boobies death and boobies death and boobies death and boobies <laughs> i don't think i've seen that one i'm gonna to look that one up what's her name Maisie something oh Maisie williams the yes one. okay yeah yeah uh, <laughs> you can't unhear that one <laughs> i know yeah gonna have to go look that one up thanks go look it up it's awesome she's okay. adorable I will do that. Uh, it's going to be in your head now, isn't it? it probably. I'm going to like hang up from doing this and I'm just going to start going, death and boobies, death and <laughs> So thanks, Rachel. You're welcome. Don't thank me. Thank Maisie Williams. Okay. Well, I'm thanking you for bringing it to my attention and then I will okay. go thank her after I watch it. Okay. Uh, all righty. So as we said, this is episode 11, Bloodlines. Uh, this is another good one from season one. I think this feels like the time where they finally sort of like got their stride. They finally have the kind of like stories that they want to tell down and we're getting, you know, good stuff. And there's things in here that like come back in future episodes and things. So, uh, yeah. So do you think that they had plans to do this sort of storyline the whole time? Or if they you know, we're getting on to a couple of episodes in and they were like, we need to shake things up. What could we pull out of left field to I do, make a big old surprise? Yeah, I do wonder in this one if it has maybe more to do with like explaining the change from the movie to the show of like what exactly the Jaffa are like physiologically to sort of explain not I mean not really like explain it explain it but give sort of like backstory to it and bring it more into the mythology of the show yeah kind of explain that culture yeah that's kind of I don't know how I've always kind of thought about it but Mm -hmm. it works for me so Yeah, yeah yeah okay so um Bloodlines originally aired on October 10th, 1997. The story was by Mark Saracheni, and the teleplay is by Jeff King. So this is, like, the second time we've had, like, a story by and a teleplay by, so I decided to, like, look up what that means as far as, like, credits, because you see it every so often. It's like, okay, so what, what does that mean? So apparently this, if you have a story by credit, like, you're the person who, like, just came up with, like, the plot of the episode, 
And then the teleplay is basically like the actual physical script that then, you know, gets shot and the actors get to act from. So Mark like wrote the story and then Jeff went and like wrote the script from. I would totally want to be the story person over the script yeah, person. You could just be sure. the person in the room that's like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. What if aliens? <laughs> and they huh? have a thingy stomach. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so that's what those credits mean. If anybody else out there has always been curious. Um, and it was then uh, directed by Mario as a party. So Mario's back again. I think this is his third time on this show. Veteran. Yes. Can directors be part of Vancouver Bingo? Because Mario's like Vancouver director, dude. Ooh, or do we save that? I'll allow it. Okay. So Mario's on, on your uh, Vancouver Bingo card if you're playing along with us. Mm-hmm. All right. So summary. It is time for Tilk's son, Ryak, to have his primta. Can Tilk stop his son from being implanted with, implanted with a Gwauld and becoming a slave to Apophis? Mmm. <gasps> tensions. Let's find out. Let's find out together. Let's find out. Okay. Um, so the episode opens back on like what seems to be Chulak based on sort of like the clothing of the people we're seeing. And we get like those priests again. And they're gathered around the table where there's a young boy laying seemingly unconscious. One of the priests picks up a jar and it has a Gould symbiote in it. And suddenly Tilk comes into the tent in his, like, full Jaffa gear, but, like, nobody seems to, like, do anything with him being there. And then um, one of the priests pulls back, like, some flaps on the boy's shirt, and we see that he has, the like, the symbiote pouch. And then there's, like, flashes, and it's, like, Tilk is lying on the table now. And he starts yelling, Ryak, and more flashes of, like, Tilk, and he's going to be having some sort of, like, nightmare or flashback. And it turns out... It's possibly both because Tilk is actually lying on an operating table in the SGC infirmary um, where he's still yelling Ryak. And the rest of SG-1 are overlooking like the operating room about what was going on. So apparently what they were doing was trying to see if there was a way that Tilk could live without his symbiote by using some sort of drug to supplant the uh, immune system type response that the symbiote gives to Tilk. Um, unfortunately it did not work and Junior had to be put back in and Junior is what Jack calls the symbiote, which is always funny. And <laughs> it kind of weird. Tilk Junior. Sure. I guess why not? Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Um, so then Daniel tells Tilk that he was yelling Ryak and asks if that means anything. And Tilk says that it means nothing. And then we cut to the opening credits. After the credits, we come back to the briefing room where Dr. Fraser is giving a rundown of what happened. And so the drug didn't work, but this does prove that the symbiote is Tilk's immune system. And apparently one of the other things they were trying to do with this experiment or surgery is to try and see if they could duplicate the effects of the symbiote so that we can help people on Earth. So, you know, people with, you know, bad immune systems, repressed immune systems, if we can help, that's, you know, yay, good science and health for people here because why not yeah Yeah. um so tilk then mentions that chulak chulak has hundreds of larval gould um but you know the last time they were on chulak things didn't really go so well so they can't really go back there um started a revolution yeah and there was like you know lots of gunfire and people shooting at them and them shooting back and so that's not gonna happen and so Tuck's like, all right, fine, I'm not going to talk about it again. And he, like, gets up and leaves before Hammond actually dismisses everyone. But, you know, he's an alien. It's fine. So Jack is going to go, like, talk to Tilk and see, like, what's going on. Because Tilk is acting a little weird. Um, so in Tilk's quarters, he seems to be meditating. And I just say, it's just, it's a really cool shot where, like, the candle or a candles like right close in front of the camera and then Tilk is behind it. And it just, it's, it's very pretty. I got to say they had they have some pretty shots on the show. It looked like he was trying to have a seance with himself. <laughs> in a little bit. Yeah. Cause there's like candles in like a semicircle and some like other stuff around him. Um, Cause you but, didn't know if there was a candle in the room until they panned out and you see that, Oh no, there's just a ring of candles directly around him. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but Jack comes in and like kind of apologizes, but is like, you, we, you know, we can't go back to Chulak, right? And Jack basically thinks Tilk is upset because they weren't able to get the symbiote out of him. And well, no, it turns out Tilk is actually concerned about his son and his wife that he left behind on Chulak. And Jack's like, I'm sorry, what? Because, you know, Tilk promised that like, he had no ties back there. Like when he like joined the SD- SGC, he you know swore his loyalty. He had no ties left on Shulak, and now he's basically betrayed their trust. Because how are they supposed to trust him now if he lied about something this huge about like leaving his family behind? What else is I, going on? I'm still not quite sure why he would lie about that in the first place. Because usually his first priority would be like, oh my god, I left my family. We have to go save them. Yeah. Because, I mean, Jack would be in on that. Like, oh, okay. Because, I mean, I'm sure Tilk knew bad things would happen to his family. Unless it was just they didn't plan for Tilk to have a family until they'd already written that episode. <laughs> and then I, this one got written later. That's why I'm wondering if they were like, let's bring... Sa- oh, yes, Tilk has a family. Because, I know it doesn't really make sense that he would have kept that because he would be afraid for them from the SGC if he yeah. was seeking refuge there. Yeah. Seems kind of weird. It is a little weird. But whatever happens, Tilk is like, I have to go back. Like, he has to go back to Chulak. And Jack's like, why? And well, because his son is almost of age where he will be receiving the Primta, which is the ceremony where the lar- the larval gould, why can't I say that? The larval gould is implanted and Tilk wants to stop it so that his son will never be a slave to the Gould like he is. Like, Tilk's little speech here is actually quite moving. So he goes, it is the means by which the Gould enslaved the Jaffa. I am not the only one among my people who believe this. My first teacher, the Jaffa master, Braytak, he knew very well the Gould are false gods. But I cannot, I will not allow my son to become a slave. So this is interesting because it also then gives a little more backstory to sort of Tilk's motivations in Children of the Gods, where he didn't just start questioning the power of the Gould out of nowhere all by himself. He actually had somebody kind of whispering in his ear about that whole thing before. That is interesting, yeah. So the rest of SG-1 go to plead Tilk's case to Hammond, but like, no, Hammond is still like not going to happen. And Carter explains that, you know, there's more to this mission than just like getting a gould for us to study here on earth. And Daniel explains it as the warrior Jaffa class are the foundation of Gaul power. They serve as both incubators for the young and as their army, an army made almost invulnerable by the restorative powers of the gould larva they carry. It's literally a Faustian bargain. So if they can undermine the authority that the gould have over the Jaffa, these are the guys that sort of really give the gould their power, like these Jaffa. If they can start spreading the seeds of doubt to the rest of the Jaffa, imagine what they could do, like what that could do to the whole Gould belief system across the universe. It would be a very big blow to them. So Hammond's like, oh, so there's more Jaffa who think like Tilk and Jack's like, well, there's like one guy. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So... Uh, Hammond orders Jack into his office where they continue like this whole discussion behind bars. And it kind of feels like Jack's been called to like the principal's office. Cause Hammond's like, this isn't my first rodeo. Like he knows there's something more going on. Jack's not telling him what more is going on. So he's like, no, you're not going. And Jack's like, fine. Tilk has a son and we have to go save him. Suddenly alarms start blaring. Everyone starts running down to the control room and Tilk is there in his full Jaffa armor and he's dying in the gate and he's going back to Chulak, and he'll do it by himself. He don't need anybody. It'll be fine. And Hammond's like, you can't, we can't let you go. You know too much about this place and what's been going on here. And it's like, I'll die before I give away your secrets. You say, okay, sure, but no, Hammond can't risk Tilt going by himself. So the rest of SG-1 is going to go with him. So So. how does, I noticed a few things here. Um, Number one, this was totally another Hammond conversation where, like, they talk and talk and talk, and then he's like, you had me at hello. I was like, I already <laughs> agree with you. This yes. seems to be a thing. Um, yes. 
But also, how does Teal'c know how to operate the gate system? Computer? Yeah. Yeah. That is a question. <laughs> to be able to turn it on and program where it's going. Yeah. Like, not mean, just the regular device. I mean, did he just point his staff weapon at Walter and be like, dial and like get it started? And then he was finishing? Yeah. Maybe just the whole team got a rundown of it when they got back. So like Daniel knew how to do it too, and so they taught Tilk too. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like the kind of thing that they would keep very secret and specialized for this exact situation. Yeah. <laughs> and so that nobody could just dial out whenever they want to. Yeah, but I think are there? I don't. Okay, I don't want to say because I might be wrong. So I don't want to say it. I might be wrong. So yeah. Okay. Nope. Not gonna say it. <laughs> if, it All right. if, if it comes up, I'll say it then. Okay. Um, so we cut to the gate room sometime later, and SG1 is geared up and ready to go in disguise as like the priests that we saw on Chulak earlier. And Tilk is in his full Chfa armor with like the headgear, even though he left like 50% of it back on Chulak while they were running away. Yeah. And how um, does he see through that? Yeah, I don't know. Also, they made those costumes really fast (laughs) (laughs) because Silk was like, this thing is happening in less than a day. Like, do they have like a seamstress on staff or like what? (laughs) And how did they get the right fabric? How did they get it like painted and colored and treated and textured? Maybe it was already like a planned Halloween theme that they were like, hey, guys, (laughs) this is going to be the greatest costume ever. And then they were like, oh, man, we can just use them in real life. Hey, maybe. But yes, it was like. Okay, sure, why not? So we go uh, so from Earth to Chulak, and there's another really cool shot where like the camera actually like pushes through the wormhole directly, which we don't really get a lot. It's usually just pan through of somebody like walking through the gate, and then they like pop out the other side. So I don't know. Thought the pushing through the wormhole was just sort of a cool little camera special effects shot. A little different, something. Yeah. And so on Chulak, the gate is now guarded by priests and other Jaffa. Tilk says that the others, like SG-1 in disguise, are scholars from the court of Apophis, and he is there to take them to the temple. But he can't open his helmet because it was damaged in battle. So one of the priests uh, reaches up and tries to help open up, open it, and Tilk like, grabs his wrist and is all, How dare you touch me? You... But I will tell Apophis, Apophis of your vigilance and you will be rewarded. So good for trying, but don't you dare ever do anything like that again. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. So something interesting, though, about these priests, if you noticed, um, they have a different forehead symbol than, like, Tilk's Apophis symbol. And, like, the priests who saw in Children of the Gods had the regular Apophis symbol that was just black. This is, like, a black over- oval with a silver cross through it. Kind of looks like the Xbox symbol. So... I did some research trying to figure out, like, why this might be. Do you have any thoughts before I get into, I think, the theory that I like best? Oh, I just assumed they were from somewhere else. Okay. Well, so the interesting thing is, like, um, so that was one theory, but that forehead symbol is not associated with any other Gould that we know about, at least. But somebody on somebody on Reddit, which Reddit's not always the best, but sometimes, sometimes there's gems there, put forth the theory that these priests are not actually specifically associated with any Gould system lord. Their job is to just oversee all larva tending duties. So therefore they're not like this guy doesn't get the best larva and that guy doesn't get the good ones. This is just, they are the lava larva priests. That implies that there's like a bigger hierarchy above all of the god people then, huh? Possibly. Hmm. But then it's also interesting because then they point out that the symbol is kind of reminiscent of what like the Jaffa pouch looks like. How it's that X. It's true. Yes. So I don't know. I like that theory. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if that's what the writers intended, but I kind of like it. Yeah, we never really find out either way, I don't think. No. I like it. Well done, yeah. Reddit person. Yes, very good. So Tilk leads the team away, and we cut to them hiding their robes under some bushes, which if they need to sort of be in disguise while they're there, why are they taking off their disguise? It's <laughs> actually like, true. Why are they wearing them the whole time? Yeah, like, why don't they just, like, <laughs> leave 
the priest robes on for the whole time until their mission is complete. That's a really good point. Rule number one, when you're in disguise, <laughs> when you're going undercover, stay <laughs> undercover. Is, 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 that the new, is that a new memo from this one? That's oh, yes, that's memo number one. Memo number one. When you're going undercover, leave stay your undercover. <laughs> uh, I never even noticed that. It's good. <laughs> it's like, why are you taking it off? But okay. Um, Daniel puts his glasses back on, doesn't he? Yes. Oh, because yeah, Sam. See, yeah, Sam actually like yelled at him in the gate room before they left. He's like, Daniel, take off your glasses, because apparently. Well, I'm. Do you think the priests have like symbiote pouches? I would. Well, okay. So this is. I don't know if they explain explain it ever, and I missed it, or if they never really explain it. Is I'm sure this is way down the line of getting into more of the Jaffa culture, but like, so from what I remember from watching this way long ago, so the, the role of the Jaffa is to host the Gould in their belly mm-hmm. until such time the Gould is mature enough to be implanted into like someone's neck. Yes. So then what happens to the Jaffa? They never really say like, do they just get a new one, a new baby larva until it's yeah. maturity? They, I don't, think that's ever actually really addressed because there does come a point um in like way far in the future um where it looks like my symbiote is getting like to the point of it's like past maturity like it actually like starts making him sick because it shouldn't be in him anymore like it needs like it needs to be implanted into a person yeah I don't think they ever actually address like what happens to the Jaffa after the symbiote is removed from the pouch because in that regard, if if it's just kind of like a ceremonial, you know, you as a Jaffa, you give this sacrifice to your god, in return you get life, but when it's taken out, like, you're done, your service is over, your life has been... Yeah. Um, so in that regard, then I would say it really doesn't make any sense for the priests to have, mm-hmm. you know, implant. it would make more sense for them to be, like, actual ghouls. Oh, Okay. See, I was thinking they were either like Jaffa or just human, like no symbiote at all. Well, I don't. Well, because then their lifespan would be drastically cut. So you would think that they, if if they believe enough in yeah. these gods and everything, that they would want to be a part of it somehow. That's true. That might then, because there's only so many system lords. So like all the little larval ghouls can't become system lords because there's too many. So they could just go into important people they want to keep around for a long time, like the mm-hmm. priests. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. Oh, well, you're welcome. That's very interesting. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so Till continues leading the team like through the woods towards his home, and we find that it has been burned to the ground. Right. Uh, completely devastated. Um, and like Tilk is just like on the verge of just like losing it and like weeping and he walks around and there's this mark on one of the walls on the outside that kind of looks like a sword or like spear of some kind with like a pair of snakes at like the hilt and like an arrow going through it. I know it's really cool looking thing, however you want to describe it. It looks really cool. Um, and apparently this is the symbol that indicates uh, that this is the home of a Sholva, which is a traitor, which we learned that word earlier back in the Knox episode that's what Apophis called Tilk mm. and Tilk just like falls to his knees and starts crying and uh, the rest of the team come in or, and they're like you know this looks like it happened a while ago and there's no reason to believe that like his wife and child were at home when it happened so like your family could still be fine like yes your home is destroyed but there's no reason to believe your wife and child are dead um, and like Tilk just kind of walks through the damage and starts like kicking and like throwing things. And then suddenly an old man appears from the other side of the house, pointing a staff weapon at Jack and it's Tony Amendola. Yay! We finally get to meet Braytac. Who... Yay. Yay. Tony's the best. Tony's great. I love Braytac. Braytac is awesome. He was just hanging out in the house. Uh, yeah. It's like, why was he there? Does he just like keep guard on Tilk's house just in case Tilk ever came back? Was was this just coincidence that he was there? It is a little strange. He too <laughs> was just reminiscing. Hmm. I should go check and see if Tilk's house is still in a burnt down ruin. Yep. <laughs> yep, it, it is. is. Okay. All right. 
So Tilk introduces Braytac to the team and he calls them warriors of great skill and cunning. And it appears Braytac doesn't quite believe Tilk because they have a woman with them. And he could like snap Daniel like a twig. And Jack's like, we're not here to fight you. So like calm your tits. (laughs) Like it's no reason to get so like aggressive. Um, so Braytac then, like, takes a swing at Jack, who actually, like, blocks the weapon and, like, does this really cool, like, move and, like, knocks Braytac down on his back. And Braytac, like, seems fairly impressed. And Jack's like, we're here on a mission. If you don't want to be part of it, just, like, say so. You're fine. And Braytac's like, if I was 100 years younger, you would have gotten it. And he's like, oh, you're really old. Oh, crap. And, like, reaches down to help him up. And then Braytac does that thing where he just, like, yanks Jack to the ground and, like, kicks him over. And, like, ha-ha. Not bad for a man of 133. So Braytac is really freaking old. Again, how does he know what a year is? Yeah. (laughs) I can't. I cannot not hear that. I'm going to bring everyone down with me. I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to ruin time span for everyone in sci-fi shows. Okay. Well, I'm sure you know there is something such as a year on Chulak, whether that and how it corresponds to an Earth year. Who knows? But also everybody speak in English. So. (laughs) The English major points that out. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone somehow knows English. Everybody knows English. Also true. Also can't unhear that. Yes. So Tilk asks Braytac if he knows where his family is. And he, he like, he kind of does. He says that they're in like one of the camp for outcasts that are outside the city, but apparently there are multiple camps and he doesn't know exactly which one. So they've got a little bit of searching to do. So Jack orders Daniel and Sam to go like back to the gate to provide cover if they should need it when they get back with Tilk's son. And Daniel's like, I thought we were mighty warriors. Okay, okay. So off Sam and Daniel go back to the gate. And Braytac's like pretty sure Tilk's wife would have headed to the camp that was on the south side of the city. So off they go. But uh, just before they go, Tilk's like, if we are discovered, you'll, you will be brought before Apophis along with us. And Jack goes, well, we'll just have to cross that bridge when we come to it. And Braytac goes, no, the bridge is too well guarded. And Jack's like, I, that's not, no. Because <laughs> the whole, you know, apparently slang doesn't translate, but every other English word does. So <laughs> I like when they do that, though. Because usually in prior episodes, they have done stuff like that where they'll use you know, some sort of slang and everyone's just like, "Hmm?" yeah, they'll like take it literally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So as they walk through the forest, Braytac is sort of asking Jack about earth and is apparently somehow Braytac has heard that people on earth don't worship gods, which, um, how, how did he hear that? Because this is the first time they've been back since they left. I know. So how have they heard of of that? Yeah. And he's like, well, no, I mean, there's like a God, but it's not really like the same God to everybody, but like definitely not like people with glowy eyes and snakes in their brains and stuff. And well, and Jack, you know, sort of this guy Hammond, who's like, he's a man, he's a good man, but he's just man. And he's also like bald and from Texas, but you know, just man. So no gods, just men, apparently. So as Sam and Daniel make their way back to the gate through the woods, they sort of take cover as priests walk by carrying something. Uh, I don't know, large urn type thing, bowl thing. And there's like a bell sounding. And Daniel's like, it kind of sounds like a church bell. And Sam's like, well, I haven't been to church in a while. So they follow the priests. So I guess Sam doesn't feel totally useless. So she's doing something. Now it's a good time as any. Yeah, let's go see what church is like on Chulak, I guess. <laughs> um, so Jack, Tilk, and Braytac have found the camp, and people immediately start, like, screaming and running when they see Tilk and Braytac in their Jaffa armor. Um, and Tilk sees, uh, like, a very specific, like, fancy tent, like, way in the back, and just, like, takes off running at this thing. And inside the tent is his son, who is about to be given his symbiote. And the priest picks up a knife to, you know, try and fight Tilk. And Tilk is like, I'm not here to fight you. And, like, actually drops his staff weapon. Um, but, like, I, I don't want to hurt you, but I can't let you perform the primta. Like, that's not going to happen on my watch. So the priest attacks Tilk. And then somebody else comes into the tent and, like, jumps on Tilk's back. 
and he pushes the priest away who crashes into the table and the bowl with the symbiote falls to the ground and like smashes open and Tilk restrains the other person who is on his back and pulls their hood off and it's a woman. <gasps> Just I love, who's... How, I love how so many surprises in this are like, <laughs> it's a woman. It's a woman. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but not just any woman, it's Tilk's wife, Dreyok. Yay! Yay! But, hmm. Because yeah. There's something interesting here, and it comes up a little bit later, too, as, like, a sort of set decoration thing. So, Rack is, like, laying on a table, and there's, like, you know, decorative or ceremonial cloth on it. And on the cloth, like, on the side that's, like, hanging down from the top of it, um, there's three symbols, like, the... The symbol on the left and the right are the the forehead symbol of, like, the ghouled priests. And then in the middle is Apophis' symbol, but it's upside down. So I'm trying to, like, figure out, like, why it's upside down in here. Because it also, we also see it later um, when we show where, when Sam and Daniel get to, like, where they're going when they're following the priest, they get to this, like, hut. um, And there's the upside down apophis symbol there as well and i'm trying to figure out what that might mean because it's the correct direction from the person that's laying on the table that would get up and look over the table at it i don't know (laughs) maybe i was wondering if it maybe has something to do with like the the larval form like this is where the larvae are versus being like full ghouled or something like ghouled versus jaffa yeah, like or like just symbiote versus Jaffa slash host. Trying to figure out why that might be, and I don't know if I really had a good answer for it. Or they just keep not remembering which direction <laughs> it's supposed to be. Like when you pointed that out in was it the first episode where he was he's wearing it upside episode. down? Yeah, <laughs> they just keep forgetting and realizing later. Like, damn it! But this is like a huge the symbol upside down again. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of weird. I don't know. If anybody out there has any ideas, let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. Anyway. Um, Maybe it was just somebody thought it was funny. <laughs> they did it on purpose. Maybe. Maybe. They were tired. They didn't notice. Yeah. They've been filming all day long. Anyway. Um, so, Jack goes to inspect the priest. And guess what? He stabbed himself on his knife as he fell. So, the priest's dead. <laughs> And also, the symbiote is dead because when the bowl smashed, it, like, cut the symbiote in half. So, things aren't going so great right now. Um, Jack and Braytac drag the priest priest away, and Dreyok is really not happy to see Tilk. She's, like, pissed. And I don't really blame her because not even just being an outcast, she's, like, shunned by the other outcasts. So, she's, like, an outcast among the outcasts like she's the lowest of the low among these people and he's like you just left us what did you think was gonna happen so i don't blame her for being mad because this is all his fault because he for whatever reason just didn't give thought to what would happen to them when he left you know what i wonder though is if there are entire outcast camps what do other people do to be outcast yeah i don't is it like they're normal outcasting yeah, I, are these, like, you know, thieves? You know, somebody stole a loaf of bread. Okay, you're cast out. You, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> what, are, what are normal Jaffa outcasts like? <laughs> yeah, this is a normal Jaffa. <laughs> the level at outcastery. Yeah, happening. I don't know. So, but he's sort of, you know, arguing back about the whole, you know, ghouls are slavery kind of thing. And she's like, e- okay, yeah, but what else do you want me to do? Like, once the ceremony was complete, they would have been allowed, like, back into the city like they would have started to sort of get their life back and which is you know as a mother that's kind of all you can do is try and make things better for your family and looks like I'll explain things to Rack and Drake's like I told him you were dead so too bad like you can't because I get you know really what else was there to say I guess mm-hmm. when he where he was who knows but basically, they need to, like, get out of there anyway. So Tilk picks up Ryak, and they follow Dreyak back to the hovel, she says, that is their home. So then we have a quick cut to Sam and Daniel, who have followed the priests to a clearing in which there's, like, 
a small hut or altar in front of a temple of some kind, like in the background, that's very like dark and foreboding. And in this like altar is a huge tank full of little baby ghouled snake things. Do they ever also explain how how the ghouled like procreate? Uh, when we get to Hathor. Okay. All right. Then yes. I will wait. Okay. <laughs> I mean, oh, wait. That's right. There's yeah. a whole episode about it that I'm forgetting. Yeah. Yep. Hathor. There's an entire episode that I completely forgot about. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll wait. <laughs> yep. That's coming up in two weeks. All right. Yeah. So hey. Okay. Hang, hang on to your questions. We'll answer it in two weeks. <laughs> okay. Yep. All right. So back at the camp, Rayak wakes up and sees Tilkin. He's very happy to see his dad. He's like, I told you he wasn't dead. But apparently Rayak is very sick and he has been since Tilk left. So he really needs the symbiote so he doesn't just die because he's apparently on the verge of death. And Jack and Braytac arrive back and Jack's like, well, he has scarlet fever. Oh, okay. How? I mean, he's got like a rash and a fever and a cough. Sure. But scarlet fever just by looking at the kid. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. And like, yes, Jack, it can be treated with antibiotics, but it can't be treated with vaccines because there's no vaccine for scarlet fever, Jack. So. He's not medical professional. No. I mean, he does say, I'm not a doctor, but that looks like scarlet fever. If you're not a doctor, how do you know that looks like scarlet fever? <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but it looks like he's really sick. Also, alien planet, alien kid, not human. Perhaps alien disease. Alien disease, maybe, Jack, you think? Just a little? Yeah. yeah. Um, But so Jack takes, like, some sort of, like, powder out of a, like, pocket somewhere and puts it into whatever Ryak was drinking, and apparently that's supposed to help, but... If they can get him back to Earth, you know, maybe they can do something. So because hey, maybe if we get him back to Earth, he'll bring whatever this mysterious <laughs> disease is with him. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll have an entire outbreak again. Again, sure. Yes, bring the bring the sick kid back to Earth. That's a great idea, Jack. Yes. But I maybe they could, you know, radio ahead and have some sort of quarantine in place. But that no, that wouldn't happen. Because have they sent out that memo yet? I don't know. Don't. They I mean, they sent should that have. out in week two. They should have, but I don't think they did. Anyway, so back with Sam and Daniel, they've approached the little like altar thing, and we get a close up of the tank of ghoul all like swimming around, and it's like it's kind of gross. And Sam seems surprised that it's not guarded, and Daniel's like, "Well, who needs to steal a symbiote? Nobody's gonna steal one. Well, except except for us, we kind of need to steal one." So, you know um, what? I sorry, I totally have a random thought too, because um, I kind of would like to look up what animal sound effect they use for the squeaking. Ooh, okay. Because it's I very, I don't know, it sounds like a rat or something, but I would like to know what mix of animals they use for that sound effect of the ee, ee. I can't even do it right, but you know. Anyway, are you are you looking it up right now? Is this happening I live? I am. Uh. I don't know. Okay. I'll, you know what? I'll put it on my list to look up for next week because, okay. yeah, I don't know if that's out there. But that would be interesting to know if we do know. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it is some weird sort of high-pitched, like, like I don't know, like dolphin-esque kind of screeching thing. I don't know. Like a cross between a dolphin and a rat? Maybe something know. like that, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay, so we need to steal a symbiote and for some reason, so Sam's got her like machine gun and Daniel's carrying a flask and for some reason they trade <laughs> where Daniel gives Sam's the flask, Sam gives Daniel her weapon and Sam's like, "Okay, on 3. 1, 2, 3." And uh, okay, okay, I'm 4. I'm 4. She's going to like reach in and just like grab a symbiote and she does and ew 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 and then she like fills it up with like liquid and like closes it all up. They turn to go and Daniel still got the gun and he's just kind of standing there staring at the tank like thinking this is just all this the whole tank is just bad news. Like there's nothing good in that tank like at all and sam's like if we wouldn't be any better than the ghouls if we killed them right now because they're just like helpless little things they have no way to defend themselves 
and Daniel turns to start following Sam and then just turns back and fires on the tank and breaks it and the symbiotes spill out everywhere and they're all dead. I thought that was actually the most powerful moment of the episode of like, holy crap, Daniel. Yeah. So do you think that like, so this is one of probably the most controversial moments in at least like the first season, especially because Daniel is very much like the peacekeeper and the let's talk it out guy. Do you think he did the right thing? Would you have done what he did? Like, how do you think this affects like Daniel as a character for you? Does it change anything about how you think about Daniel? Ah, well, I mean, you can definitely at least just tell from that episode of like, holy crap, he's going through some shit. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't know if it would change my overall opinion of him. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a moment for him of. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't know if I really would have done the same thing. I don't I don't think I would have shot at it. I do think I probably would have agreed with Sam. Yeah, I probably would have been like. I, 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 yeah, I think I would agree with Sam. I would have been very huffy and like, I should have, like, I, I probably would have thought to myself, I should have done it. I should have done it. But even knowing I probably never would just because you, I mean, what it's very understandable what Daniel did, especially, you know, because his wife and brother-in-law have been taken by the ghoul. You get why he did it, but yeah. But at the same time, that's always where. You know, in in movies and TV shows, they're like, no, he's just a kid. He's harmless, whatever. He can't do anything. And then that kid grows up to be like a drug lord. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, man. Huh. If you could go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you kill baby Hitler? Yes. That's always the question, isn't it? Uh, Well, it's just the the ultimate controversy. Mm -hmm. That is, is definitely good for discussion. Ah. Well, so are we talking about time traveling going back to kill baby Hitler or just so happened to be a person who is in his present and someone someone was like, Hey, kill this baby. He grows up to be a madman. Uh, I say no time travel because there's no time travel in Stargate at this point in time. Okay. So if someone just came up to me and was like, kill this baby, he grows up to be a madman and kill thousands of people. Millions of people. (laughs) Millions of people. Mm, I don't think I could do it. Okay. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> <laughs> well, after that very uplifting conversation. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Stargate episodes are always meant to spark discussion as yes, as makes this podcast necessary. Yes, very much. All right. So, um, so Jack Tilk and Dreak and Braytac. Everybody's got the cuz. Jack Tilk, Dreak, Braytac are headed back to the gate with Ryak. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> What's the tongue twister from the previous episode you were trying to remember? Oh, uh, crap. So it was from the Knox episode where yes. Silk was chasing somebody through the woods. I, uh, he was tracking, tracking Tilk shackle. Tilk was tracking shackle. Tilk was tracking shackle. Tilk was tracking shackle. That's what it was. Um, Anyway, so they're all headed back to the gate and Ryak is like very, very sick and actually like stops breathing. And Jack's like, let's just keep going until it's like, it'll be too late by the time we get to the gate, which doesn't Jack know CPR? If the kid's not breathing, CPR? And so Tilk like apologizes to Ryak to what he's about to do. And he like gives Ryak his symbiote. And it's kind of gross. But he already... So he already had the pouch. Yes, he had the pouch. That. Yeah. Um, yes. So yeah, Ryak had the pouch, and then yeah, Tilk just kind of like does that thing where he just, like opens his shirt and then like the puppet pops out. <laughs> I always kind of wonder too, like if you're if you're a host to a symbiote, how do you make it do that? Like it because doesn't Tilk or you know somebody explain once upon a time that like no 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 when it's when it's in the stomach you don't communicate with it it's just kind of there. So yeah. how how do you make it like me? How do you I don't know. It? Does expo- exposing it to like fresh air maybe? Because every time he like lifts his shirt, it comes out. So it thinks it's going to be implanted into like a host maybe. It just like, I don't so, know. Well, then that would happen like every time he changes his clothes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> every time he took a shower, it's just like out there singing in the rain. <laughs> Oh, man, that would be the weirdest. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But they they do that in the episodes. They always seem to be able to make it like emerge on command. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. It's one of the things I noticed. Yeah. Okay. So Sam and Daniel are also walking back through the woods when a staff blast hits a tree and uh, they're being followed by the Trafod. Time to run. And so they take cover behind a tree and then like Daniel's like eating like a power bar or something. He just like chucks it like it's like somewhere. It's like, I don't know. It's just funny. He's like, yeah. And he just chucks it and then like pulls out his gun and Sam tells him to duck and she just like lobs a grenade at all the Jaffa that are chasing him and kablooey, yay, everybody blew up and is dead. So at least they got away from those guys. So they continue making their way towards Jack and everybody else. And Braytac mentions that the symbiote is strong and Ryak will be healed soon. But by then Tilk will be dead because, you know, Tilk doesn't have his symbiote anymore. And so Sam and Daniel show up and Daniel's like, we have a symbiote. And Car's like, yeah, we found this like whole vat of them at this temple. And Braytac and Dreyak are like, you did what? Like you desecrated the temple? And like, never mind the fact they don't tell him that they like, you know, kind of blew the whole thing up. Just the fact that they took one. Right. It's like. They're going to be in for a surprise. Yeah, surprise. We killed all of them. Mm-hmm. But they don't really have time to, like, get bent out of shape, really. And they have to, like, get this symbiote into Tilk before he dies. So Braytex, like, the symbiote's young, but it's basically better than nothing at this point. So they put it into Tilk, and, like, Tilk starts, like, screaming, (laughs) kind of, which was, like, it was very drastic. Because, I mean, he was, like, on the verge of death, I think, at this point. He'd been, like, kind of unconscious a little bit. And just, like, kind of wakes up and, like, starts screaming as the symbiote goes into him. Back in the forest, like, where Sam and Daniel were, some other Jaffa come across the Jaffa that Sam blew up. And they blow on this big horn to sound the alarm. And the guards and priests that were by the gate hear this, and some of them go off running. And then we're walking through the woods, and Tilk is once more carrying Ryak. So Tilk's doing much better. And then they also hear the horn and Ryak wakes up and like, this is like, it's go time. Like the Jaffa are coming. We got to get going. So Tilk tells Ryak that he now has a symbiote and Ryak seems very happy about this. He's like, yay, I have my symbiote, but mm, not really. But Tilk has to go away again and he should listen to Braytac and Dreyak until he returns, but it might be a while Am I missing where they suddenly decide to not try and rescue his family? Because I mean? thought the whole, well, because I thought the whole idea was like, oh, we, we, we have to, you know, he's sick. We have to get him in the Stargate. And then decided, oh, he's too sick. He can't move anymore. So then he gives him the symbiote. I, I don't remember where the plan changed of like how they were not going with them after all. Well, they originally went to Chulak to stop Rayak from getting the symbiote like period i guess since he has the symbiote tilt can't change anything so they They just stay yeah so but yeah there's no real discussion about i don't yeah i don't know why they don't go back with tilt anyway because they're still like shunned and outcasts and stuff and now there's a whole bunch of like dead jaffa and priests to contend with right now that tilt has actually tried to come back for them yeah. you know they're going to be used as leverage or at yeah. least they should if they had smart military prowess yeah i mean until tells Drak, like tell them i did this tell them this is my fault tell them i tried to kidnap ryak and that you, you had no part in this so they at least have that down and maybe the fact that ryak has a symbiote she can convince them that the primta actually happened and the whole death of the priest who did that happened after the i don't eh, i don't know because my first thought is like oh great well now that he's come back and everybody knows that he came back to try to grab his son of course in order to catch him they're going to use the family against him they're obviously not going to be able to live normal lives stay tuned for season two (gasps) yeah so but basically dreyak and ryak are gonna stay on chulak (laughs) with braytac why? This is so fun rewatching it because it really has been so long since I yeah. watched it the first time that I don't remember 
anything that happens. So it really is like I'm watching it for the first time. And so I'm just watching it going like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and I like, as, I, as I'm rewatching it, it reminds me of things that happen later. So yeah, stay tuned for season two for more with Silk's family. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't even remember. I, mean, I like it. I it only goes to the point of like, oh yeah, we see them again, but yeah. I got nothing. I got nothing. Mm-hmm. So they're staying behind. Everybody else is continuing on. Um, so Braytac and Jack have a plan, and that plan is to do what Braytac says. And it apparently also does not include the priest disguises, so they just leave them buried under the bushes that they left them in earlier. <laughs> okay, sure. Memo. <laughs> don't leave your disguises buried in the woods <laughs> so Braytac leads them all down to the gate Tilk is like back in his full armor with the headpiece closed and Braytac tells the guards who now there's only like one Jaffa and two priests that he has captured the traitors and that he is to bring them to Apophis himself which if SG-1 are supposed to be prisoners why are they not like tied up in any way like why didn't they like tie their wrist with rope or something like they're just they still have all their weapons on them they're just walking around freely like <laughs> these are not prisoners are you kidding Lying by the seat of their pants now what are you gonna do <laughs> but Quickly. Uh, i don't know um and the priest is like great but we can't let you pass until the palace guards arrive and braytac's like okay sure fine yeah we can wait that's fine and then like spins around and like fires a staff weapon at the ground, catching it on fire and Sam and Jack draw their guns to try to help until cause like, just wait. And they watch as like Braytac just like takes them all down. Braytac against three guards. No problem at all. Not bad for a man of 133 indeed. So I did like that part. Yeah, <laughs> it was fun. Which actually that kind of reminds me of a story from a convention. I don't know. Do you want to hear convention stories? Yes. Okay, so I think this was at the second convention I'd been to, um, and Tony Amendola was a guest, and I decided to, like, get up and ask, ask him a question about, like, you know, the kind of training for, like, stunt fighting and stuff that they had to do on the show, just thinking I'd get, like, I don't know, a fun answer about something. Instead, he um, brings me up on stage and gives a brief explanation about some stuff and then proceeds to whip me with a belt in front of the whole audience but stage fighting stage fighting stage whipping so apparently when you are whipping somebody and they're like laying on a table if you have the person who has the whip aims for like the far side of the table and then drags the whip over their back like after it's made contact with the table so it hits the table but then you drag it over their back and just with the camera angle all right it looks like you're hitting the person but you're actually like hitting the table or whatever mm-hmm. so and then um so you know how sometimes people like grab somebody's like hair and like drag them around the room or whatever yes so mm-hmm. apparently how that works is the person doing the dragging makes a fist puts it against like the back of the head of the person who's getting dragged but doesn't actually grab anything And then because the person who's getting dragged always then basically has their hands like holding that person's like fist, like trying to get it off, but they're actually holding the fist to their head instead of like trying to pull it off. They're trying to like keep it attached to their head. And so there's some secrets of stage fighting from Tony Amendola. Ha ha. (laughs) Yay. How was Uh, I getting whipped on stage? It was, it was interesting. I was like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, Also there's pictures, right? There's, I have video. One of my friends videoed it. <laughs> so, I got, I got video of this. This is, yeah, that, that's a memory for you. <laughs> one of the things that you have in like a, like an icebreaker, like two truths and a lie. And you're like, I got whipped on stage once. I got whipped by Tony Amendola. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so basically we're at the end. Daniel goes to dial the gate and Carter's like, what are you going to do when the priests come? They'll tell Apophis that you betrayed them. And then Braytech goes, I suppose I shall cross that bridge when I come to it. <gasps> he remembered. Huh. Yeah. Which is funny because they didn't actually explain it no, to him the first time. Apparently Braytech <laughs> is smart enough to just kind of deduce what that means. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Um, so then we get a lovely shot of Braytac saluting SG-1 with, like, holding his staff weapon over his head. And SG-1 salutes him in return. And I mean, well, Sam and Jack salute Daniel, just kind of, like, waves. And um, 
off they go as Braytac stays behind to try and teach Ryak. The end. The end indeed. Yes. Yeah. So, so it was pointed out to me that this episode is an episode where lots of things happen, but they accomplish nothing. Yes. <laughs> it's totally true. They they went to go get the symbiote. They didn't get the symbiote. They went to save Ryak. They didn't save Ryak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're kind of just back at square one. They're they're kind of just back to where they were at the beginning of the episode. Except Tilk has a new symbiote, so... Pretty much all that happened. (laughs) Yeah, that's all I get. Um, So how would you rate this episode, though? What do you think overall? I mean, I do like this one, except Mm -hmm. it it is kind of funny how it comes out of left field where it, to me, it does seem like the, in the writer's room, they were like, okay, we gotta, we gotta expand this universe. We gotta take it in a new direction. What do we put in? What do we put in there? And they're like, ha, wait, wait, Duke left behind a family. And, you know, so I I do think it was kind of like that, um, where Mm -hmm. they came up with that idea later and then had to make it fit. Right. Whether or not it worked is a different story. Um, but I, I did like the episode, and mm-hmm. it is funny how, you know, so much happens, but nothing so really little. happens. Yeah. <laughs> so much happens, but nothing has changed. Yeah. Yeah. It is a good one. There there wasn't anything that was like a super gaping plot hole. No. That bothers me, like in the other episodes where they like leave a civilization in ruins and they're just like, bye. We want to be friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So we got the one memo, the one memo of don't leave your disguises just buried in the woods. If you're going undercover, stay, stay under. undercover. I think that's it for this episode. Really? Yeah. Don't commit mass murder on defenseless things. Yeah. There's that. Without orders to, I guess. Yeah. I could totally see there being a military operation to go in and assassinate them, if you will, but... Yeah. That's tricky, though. Oh, yeah. 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 That is a whole other depressing conversation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think we need to get that one. Um, (laughs) That may or may not be more depressing than would you kill baby Hitler. (laughs) True. So, we didn't talk about episode title, Bloodlines. I think that one's fairly obvious, though, this week. It's about family, bloodlines, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that one really needs much explanation. I didn't really do any research into this one because kind of just that one out. I think kind of just is what it is this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there weren't a lot of like fun facts this week. There weren't really a lot of stuff to like, I don't know, research and to look into. Oh, well, I'm now excited. you can look into the sound effect. Sound effects that the little symbiotes make. Yes. Going to turn out to be like the weirdest animal ever, like a chinchilla or something. <laughs> I don't even know what the, what chinchillas sound like, but it's going to be something weird. Yeah. Isn't it like the MGM lion roar is actually like 12 different animals or something? Like it's not just a lion. It's entirely possible. I know Chewbacca is a mix of like four different animals. Yeah. All right. Well, I have my task for next week. Woohoo! So, which... So we will see you next week. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening this week. As always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or send us an email at woo. That's W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for Fire and Water. Bye, everybody. Bye.